I'm excited to share a word with you this morning. We've been in the middle of a series called A Word of Encouragement, where we have been, uh, we've been studying through the book of Acts, and that's usually what we do here. We preach through a book of the Bible. And, uh, and God worked it out that we came to this sermon that Paul the Apostle preached in Acts chapter 13 to a bunch of religious people in Galatia when he planted the church there. And so, and his sermon was perfect. It lined right up with, with Palm Sunday and Resurrection uh, Easter Sunday, and so we just preached through that. We broke his sermon into three, three sermons. The first one was history. The second one, where he walked through the history of Israel. The second one was called The One, where he said all of history led up to this one thing, and that was Jesus. And then we get to the end of his sermon where he says, you know, and it's confirmed in his resurrection, and that he moved from death to life. We know that Jesus was and is the Messiah. And so this morning, we're in that last passage of Scripture um, and, and a sermon we're calling Death to Life. That because Jesus defeated death, that we, each and every one of us, have the opportunity, though we are dead in our sins, to move into a brand new life, to be born again, to be a new creature, to break the strongholds in our lives because of the power that rests in Jesus Christ. But first, before we get into the message, I want to introduce you to somebody. Uh, this is Sadie. Everybody say, hey, Sadie. This was our family dog. She was an awesome dog. We loved her. Uh, she's way cuter than me. That's why I put her picture up there. Um, she's no longer with us, but we, she, I mean, she was just, she was the first dog. Bethany and I got her when we were dating, when we were still in college. And uh, we, we were almost 20 years ago. That's kind of crazy to think about. Um, and so the most amazing 20 years, that's almost half my life. I'm giving my age away here. But Sadie was awesome. I came home one day and uh, from work, and it was just in the backyard. There's this crazy, like, I didn't know what was going on. People were screaming. Dogs were barking. I didn't know what was going on. But we had this old storage building, and Sadie got under the storage building. And, like, this thing had been there since I don't, like, it was first building made uh, in eastern Kentucky, I think. Uh, like, it was, the floor was rotting and down. Like, we needed to replace it, but we'd been working on the house, hadn't got to the building yet. But she, the, like it laid right on, it was, wasn't even on blocks, it was laying on the dirt, the floor joists were. Well, she got up in them and like dug her way through there. She was back under there, like barking, 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 just going crazy. And my wife, was, Bethany, was upset. She's like, oh, we got to get her out of there. She's been in there for hours just barking and barking and barking. We don't know what's up. Thankfully, it had a couple of holes in the floor already, the building did. So I went to those and just started kind of prying boards up and pulling stuff up. And, and I finally got to where I could see her. I couldn't get a hold of her to get her out. But I thought, you know what? I'm just going to try to calm her down. I'm going to pet her. And so I just started petting her and loving her and talking to her and say, Sadie, it's all right. It's all right. We're going to get you out. Uh, uh, we're going to get you out. And then something happened. And I screamed like a little girl. Because her tail flipped around, and it looked like this. <laughs> and I, I thought it was going to be her furry tail, and then all of a sudden I'm like looking at them like, wait, what is that? And there's this skinny, like that look. At the, and I realized, like in that moment, I am petting a possum. 
Like I literally, and it was one of those moments, like you look back and you say, how did I not know? Like the fur felt a little different, but I thought she was just muddy, dirty, like had dust and sand all in there, a little wiry. And I didn't realize I didn't know it. I totally missed it. I totally thought it was one thing and it was another. Okay? Paul ends his sermon here with these verses. He, he quotes this Old Testament prophecy. And he tells the people, this religious people in the church, he's like, don't let the prophet's words apply to you. For they said this, look, you mockers, me, be amazed and die. For I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about. And what he is telling them is like, that was an Old Testament prophecy, but I, I don't want that to apply to you today, church. I don't want you to miss this. Because you absolutely can miss. You can look around and not see, even if somebody told you about Jesus, that you might miss this. And I realized what Paul was saying is, is that it is absolutely possible that you can miss the truth. That you can make fun of it, that you can mock Jesus, that you could pretend to play church, that you could go for your mom and dad, that you could go for your spouse, that you could do all the things and totally miss the truth. Because let me tell you, I believed with everything in me I was petting Sadie. <laughs> and it did not change the truth. It did not change what was really there and what was really going on. Maybe you've had those moments, you look back in your life and go, like, how was I so dumb? You know, like, how did I not see that? And, and maybe it was an addiction that you're in. Maybe you drink too much. Maybe it's something that you're just like, how did I get into this? What was I thinking when I walked into this? Maybe it was you trusted your children too much and you gave them too much freedom and, and, and in that, they made some bad decisions that altered their life forever, and you're carrying some of that. Maybe you were too tough on your children, too strict on them, and you pushed them away, and now they don't, they don't trust you. Maybe it was a girl or boy you dated. And you're like, how did I miss that? What was I thinking? And maybe you're dating that person right now, and you're like, how did I do this? What am I doing? How did I not see this? Maybe it was a business deal, a friend you had. Maybe it was a family member, somebody that betrayed you. You just look back and say, how did I miss it? This morning, the folks, folks, I want to tell you this morning that what Paul talks about here is the eternal impacting, life-altering thing that you do not want to miss. And he shares it with them like this. We're going to talk about three things about the resurrection, about Jesus moving from death to life that you don't want to miss. One is the proof. Proof is he's talking here and he's sharing with them. He's told them Jesus came, the Messiah came, and he's told them he's the one, but he said, let me tell you about some proof. Like, I, you don't just have to, uh, to, to take this as some fairy tale or some myth. And he tells us proof in two ways, really. The one is not as important for me, but he shares the proof of the resurrection. And he shares some scripture around that, and we're going to look at them in just a second. 
But I have a, a short clip here from a movie called The Case for Christ. And maybe you're out there and you're like, man, I don't know. I've heard about Jesus and the resurrection. That's just a thing that happens here. People talk about it. And maybe you're not anchored in your heart that that was an actual event. Jesus, like agnostics, everybody agrees Jesus was a teacher. He lived. He died. And that there were recordings that people saw him after he was dead. Like, these are historical facts that everybody agrees upon. And maybe you've just not come to that. You still feel like it's just a thing that, that Grandpa and Grandma talked about. But you've not anchored that in your heart for yourself, that this is something you do not want to miss. I want you to see this clip in the movie called Case for Christ. It's about a guy who was a journalist. Uh, Lee Strobel's his name. He was an atheist, and he set out on this mission. I'm going to prove that the resurrection is a bunch of baloney. So he sits out on a mission. He goes to interviews with these great, uh, great scholars. He goes to Israel, and guess what happens? He becomes a believer. All right, and so this is just a little short snippet from the movie that shares his interaction with the scholar uh, when, when Lee is still doubting, but this person believes. I just want you to see a little bit of it, and then we're going to move on and talk about not just the proof of the resurrection, but the proof in the resurrection. How can anyone talk? historical evidence for the resurrection when the resurrection by nature is a miracle right we all know miracles can't be proven scientifically correct but we don't have to prove a miracle to prove a resurrection okay love to hear you explain that one yeah you just have to show that jesus died and he was seen afterwards right but the very people who claim that they saw him are religious zealots in my line of work we call those biased sources well i'm not interested in bias either mr strobel you see i care about the facts for professional and, and personal reasons. Right, so where are the facts, Dr. Habermas? The resurrection narrative is more legend than it is history. Really? Well, not according to historical records. Did you know that we have a report of the resurrection with specific eyewitnesses that dates all the way back within months of the resurrection itself? That source also adds that 500 separate people saw Jesus at the same time. We're not talking decades or centuries after the cross, Mr. Strobel. It's months. Hey, you a coffee drinker? Okay, so 500 witnesses, but that's still just one historical source, the Bible. Wrong. There are at least nine ancient sources, both inside and outside the Bible, confirming that disciples and others encountered Jesus after the crucifixion. But, but they were already followers of Jesus. Well, not all of them. Think of Saul of Tarsus. He originally was a persecutor of Christians. He hunted them down and killed them. Yet he died, the Apostle Paul, proclaiming that Jesus was the Son of God. But, but let's not kid ourselves here. People die for lies all the time. 900 people died drinking poison Kool-Aid at Jonestown. True, and there are other examples like that throughout history, but here's the difference. People don't willingly drink poison for something that they know is a lie. Fair point. In this interaction, that you don't have to throw your mind into the gutter to believe and have faith in Jesus Christ. That you don't have to throw your intellect away. And Paul shares this here as we start in Acts chapter 13 and verse 29. It says, when they'd done all that the prophecies had said about him, they took him down from the cross and placed him in a tomb. So the verse Chris was talking about earlier. That's what men did. They tried to stop the will of God 
But God, Paul says, raised him from the dead. That's where we ended last week and where we start this week. And it says, And over a period of many days he appeared to those who had gone with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to the people of Israel. And now we are here to bring you this good news. The promise was made to our ancestors. And God has now fulfilled it for us, their descendants, by raising Jesus. Paul is saying this. You've probably seen it on Twitter. That's what he's saying to them. You've probably heard about what happened in Jerusalem. I'm telling you, I was there. I'm telling you, I met the people who saw him. The people, the very people who had abandoned him, even Peter, who said, you know what? I thought he was the king. He died. I'm going fishing. And he goes back and he goes fishing. He said, I saw those people. Who buried for their with their own eyes saw Jesus Christ alive. Not only did they see him alive, they hung out with him. They ate. He got, he showed up in the room with them, and he asked for something to eat. I mean, he he was with them in body. He was resurrected, and he's saying, "I'm t- I'm giving you proof, it's a secondhand account. Jesus Christ lived again. With that, you got to do something with it." So that was the proof. He's sharing the proof of the resurrection. And then he's saying there's proof in the resurrection. That because he did this, because God did this, this was the promise was made to our ancestors. He fulfilled all the prophecies, and this was the final one. I I told you he was the one, but this seals the deal. This is proof he's who he says. You know, if you go to to get on the airplane, you've got to get your driver's license out, prove who you are. This, in effect, was Jesus Proving to the world and his followers and disciples, I am the Messiah, the chosen one, the, the one that God has talked to, the, talked about the entire Old Testament, that everything was looking forward to. I am the fulfillment of that. I am the one, and the proof of that is in the resurrection. He moved from death to life. Cool thing is, Paul here is not debating philosophy or Theology. He's like, I'm just telling you what happened. Here's some events. For real, this is what happened. And you got to choose to decide what you're going to believe about it and what you're going to do with it. And that's what I want to propose to you this morning. Here's what happened. Here's the recording you heard in that scripture, the proof, the, the, the different writings, the sources, the history of like this man lived and lots of people, 500, saw him three days after he had been crucified. Second thing we see is, I don't want you to miss the proof in the resurrection. I don't want to miss the purpose. Why did he have to come and die? Why was he on the cross? Acts 13, 38 through 39, as Peter, or Paul continues to preach, he says, Brothers, listen, we're here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there's forgiveness of your sins. Everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight. Something the law of Moses could never do. I mean, for us, you, we, we don't feel that. You don't hear about the law of Moses every day and all this kind of stuff. For them hearing that, you've you got to kind of get in their mind and say they felt this pressure to do everything right and always trying to please God and could never do it. They could never be perfect. They could never fulfill it perfectly. They were continually having to work and work and work and work and try to make God happy, they felt like. Anybody have student loans? 
Anybody getting student loans right now? Anybody have kids that had student loans? Or, they got this thing called the graduate payment program. Y'all ever heard of it? It's the worst thing in the world. <laughs> All right? It's like, you, this is the graduate payment program. You're going to pay on this, and your kids are going to pay on this, and your grandkids are going to pay on this. You're never going to get paid off. And I remember we were on that early on. Uh, thank God Bethany's are paid off now. Mine are close. But I remember early on, we paid on it for a few years, and I went and looked at the balance. I went, it's more. It literally went, like the interest they were charging was more than the payment. They were, and you feel that weight. I'm like, never going to pay that off. That is with me the rest of my life. This is the feeling that they had in relationship to God. That they kept paying and the balance kept going up. That they couldn't pay it off. And so when Paul stands up and says, you want forgiveness of your sins, you got it. That's it. You want your student loans paid off, you got it. All you got to do is accept this gift. Here it is. I'm writing the balance in full. Because, see, we are all sinners. We've sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're separated from God because you've got sin in your heart. You've got sin in your life. You've done something. Uh, I mean, I, I think I, as soon as I could talk, I probably sinned. Uh, right? We've done something in our life that's broken our relationship with a very righteous and a holy God. And there's nothing we can do to build back to that. Like, you can't dig out of it. It's a hole you can't dig out of. It's a void you can't, uh, you cannot connect. And he said, but listen here, you Jewish, you religious people. I'm telling you, this man came, and the purpose that he came is to forgive your sins because God is angry at sin, and his wrath had to be poured out. And the wrath, the anger he had for all mankind, humanity, was poured out on Jesus Christ, his son, who deserved a throne who deserved a crown of gold, who did what none of us could do. He fulfilled the law. That means he lived perfectly and sinless his entire life. And then he willingly took the punishment, the wrath that we deserve, so that if we put our life in his, the blood is applied, and we become right with God. Man, that is an incredible thing. He said, you don't want to miss the proof of, of that this is the Messiah. You don't want to miss the purpose. He came to save you to do what you can't do to change you from the inside out, to make you a slave to righteousness instead of a slave to sin. And he says it's something the law of Moses could never do. You know what's funny is uh, Paul, later on in the book of Galatians, he writes a letter back to these people. right? Because he's in Galatia now planting this church. And later on he has to write them a letter because they get all mixed up and uh, they're not that much different than us. Y'all ever get mixed up? Nope. We see as, as we've got this, uh, this salvation that he's set us free from the bondage of sin, the power and penalty of sin. So he doesn't want us to miss the proof or the purpose. He also doesn't want us to miss the power. The power in this moment, this season that they're in, what that they are relying on. So he writes this letter to the Galatians. 
later on in his life, and it's back to this church he's talking to now, and he says this, O foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. In other words, going to church, wearing the right clothes, doing the right things, taking communion, getting baptized, like all these things that we might feel like we've done well in those things and have earned something, he says all that is as filthy rags. He said, you received your salvation when you professed faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus alone as your Lord and Savior. And his righteousness was bestowed upon you. And I thought about this last verse that, that you know, after Paul finishes preaching and he, he, tell, he, he ends it with, you don't want to miss this, the verse I shared at the beginning. He started with the, the end in mind. He started with that. And when he leaves, they're all excited, like, that was really good. Will you come back next week? That doesn't happen to Paul very often if you've read the book of Acts. But they ask him to come back the next week, and he does, and the whole town is almost the whole town is there. Uh, and then when the, the Jews see people getting excited about it, they start getting jealous, and they run him out of town the next week. But this time, as he's leaving, it says that many of the Jews and the Gentiles that were there had decided to put their faith in Jesus in this moment in that experience, as Paul shared with them, they said, wait, I do believe. I believe in the resurrection. And I believe he was the Messiah. I believe he did save me. I believe that, and my life is different. And then as he's leaving, he, the two of them, Paul and Barnabas, they turned to him and urged them to rely, to continue to rely on the grace of God. And I just read you in Galatians where they obviously struggled with that. Because they got saved, they had the grace, and then all of a sudden they started feeling like they had to do all the rituals and all the things again. And all the things the Jews, the religious people wanted them to do. And he said, you've fallen away from the doctrine of grace. And he says, I want you to rely on the grace of God. And here we see the power. What do you rely on? You know, I got in our car this morning, hit the button, just had faith. I, believe, I was relying that it was going to get me here. What do you rely on in life? And when he wrote this to them, I thought, what are they? What's the, what's the difference of that? What's he scared they're going to rely on? And the, the first thing that came to my mind was that God was powerful in the past. That they, man, they were excited. You ask them about any of the Old Testament people, Moses, Abraham, Daniel in the lion's den, Joseph. Like they could tell you story after story of what God did 5,000 years ago, 400 years ago, what God did. It was amazing. But now he's been gone 400 years. We're just trying to, like, they were discouraged. They were upset. And they thought God's power was all harnessed in these Old Testament stories. And Paul's telling them, oh, oh no, 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 no. The, the miracles, the promises, the stories of old, those are powerful. But let those drive in you the truth of the reality that God just brought his son back to life. And there is power in that. He is as powerful today as he was then like not only that he's going to send his holy spirit and start the church and have this whole body of believers that are part of him that has the power to change the world and so we might think well that's a lot of power back then god had he, jesus did all these miracles i'm telling you the same power is here today same power is here today to raise you and me from death 
to life. Paul said we have the same resurrection power living inside of us. They relied on the law of Moses. Uh, and you might be like me and you begin to rely on yourself. And that's what they would do. They would rely on themselves to check all the boxes, you know, dot all the I's, cross all the T's, do all the things that we're expected to do as good people. And you might even go a, a few weeks and be really good, like didn't miss church once, you know, I, I didn't look at the wrong website on, on the computer, I've not, I've not drank any, I've not, I've not done this or not that. And you might start to get a little bit confident in yourself that I can do this. And you might start to rest on that confidence that you, you did, and then you slip up and you think, oh, I messed up. And he's saying, don't rely on that. Don't rely on your self-ability to try to do good. Rely on the grace of God. Let me tell you what happens when you accept God's grace. You change. I'm not saying you never mess up again, but, and, and you don't change out of fear of punishment. You change out of gratitude that God saved you when you didn't deserve it. Like, you are so grateful. You just want to be more and more like Jesus. Like, I want to be like him. He saved me. He came. He loved me. While I was a sinner, he died for me. I want to be like that. I want to be like him. I'm following him. I'm all in. I'm a Jesus follower. And so we don't want to miss the power, and we don't want to rely on the wrong things. I'll remind you again, Paul's not talking about philosophy or theology. He's talking about events, things that happen. We've shared a, a picture here of the last two weeks uh, of this bridge that they're building, this place in North Carolina where we go, and it connects this island. And, and we talked about how in the beginning, like God's history, he's the beginning and the end. And we looked at this, I looked at this construction, and they'd started on one end and started building a cross. They'd also started on the other end where it was going to connect. I was like, how do they know that? Like, that's just incredible, and God is the same way in his plan for mankind. He knows the beginning, and he knows the end. And there was three words Jesus said when he was on the cross. He said, it is finished. And so when I look back at this picture again, I start to see, like, actually I see us in this, one, this part on the right. Where we just, we're always trying to build our own way into heaven. And Jesus over here on the left, like, you got a bridge, brother. Why are you building? It's finished. The work is done. I, I've, I've, I've bridged the gap between mankind and my Father. Like, I took all your punishment that you deserved. All you have to do is accept it. All you have to do is rely on the grace God. See, I believe Easter is not just a destination, it's a launching point. The resurrection gives us the power that, that set forth his mission to reach the whole globe, the whole world, to go into the ends of the earth, making disciples, changing the world, loving people, and being good neighbors. And so our heart hears that resurrection points to this one truth that I want to read to you from Ephesians chapter 2. It says, but God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. 
For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things he planned for us long ago. Do you hear that? He didn't just save you to get you comfortable. He's got good things planned for you to do. Good things planned for me to do. He wants to save you and, and invites you to be on mission with him. To reach the lost, the addicted, the abandoned, the lonely, the abused, the people. You know, remember the story of Jesus going all the way across the Sea of Galilee to get to that demoniac? The crazy guy who was living in the graveyard? See, I'd have been on a boat going the other way. <laughs> trying to get away from him. And I'd probably be like, hey, Jesus, you don't want to go over there, man. That guy is crazy in the graveyard. Get out of here. And he's like, that's why I'm in the boat. That's why I'm on the cross. It's for that guy. The guy that you want to run from, that you give up on. You see, you, the dead is hanging across. People try to put me in the grave, but God raised him from the dead. But God raised you from the dead if you've given your life to Christ. And God can raise you from the dead if you say, man, I've never felt that. I don't know what you're talking about. Like this thing beyond church, a relationship with someone who loves me and knows me, knew my sins before and knows them after, and yet died for me anyway and loves me anyway. I want to be a part of that. You absolutely can. Because you know how Jesus, the day before his death, you know what he was doing, right? You got one, you got one day to live. What are you doing? Disney World, Jesus on his knees, washing feet, washing feet, bowed down, not before great men, but a bunch of ragtag fishermen from the head of nowhere. That's what Galilee was, Nazareth. Anything good come from Nazareth? He's down on his knees, the king of the world who had every right. He could call a host of angels, do anything he wanted. He was on his knees washing their feet. Guys, feet, one, feet, one that, was, uh, that was Judas that was going to betray him. One Peter that was going to deny him. The other ten were going to abandon him when he was crucified. They were going to be scattered out. They have gone. And yet he's on his knees washing their feet. And that's, that's my heart. That's our heart of this church. Is to wash feet, symbolically, to wash this community's feet as neighbors, to wash feet, to do the things that people don't even deserve. Not so we hope they change and get disappointed when they don't, but to be reminded that Jesus got on his knees, that Jesus went to the cross when I didn't deserve it, that he died for every single person in this room and unfortunately went just like the group that Paul was talking to. There are some who will miss it. And well, some will go your whole life and think you, you mocked Jesus, you thought it wasn't real, you thought it was this, you thought it was that. And you missed it. And that is exactly what Paul is saying. Our vision here is to help this community experience Jesus in real and relevant ways. We'll do that in lots of different ways. Next weekend is going to be a baseball field. We've seen people do it as individuals where they've blessed people with groceries. They've paid electric bills. <laughs> they, you talk about real and relevant ways with a guy at the elementary school didn't have a car, and one of our, one of our members put together a team and he showed up and got a car. You talk about Jesus in real and relevant ways, the proof of the gospel that we care for one another and we take care for one, of one another. 
And how easy is it? How easy is salvation? I think about, uh, I don't think there's a, there's a better illustration than the cross, the thief on the cross. I'm going to read you this little thing about the thief on the cross. It says, how does the thief on the cross fit into your theology? No baptism, no communion, no confirmation, no speaking in tongues, no mission trip, no volunteerism, no church clothes. He couldn't even bend his knees to pray. He didn't say the sinner's prayer. And among other things, he was a thief. Jesus didn't take away his pain, heal his body, or smite the scoffers. Yet it was a thief who walked into heaven the same hour as Jesus simply by believing. Alistair Begg says it like this. Uh, I, I love this illustration. I want you to imagine it. The thief gets to heaven and, and like, what, are you, what are you doing here? Can, can, what do you think you can get in? And he just simply says, the man on the middle cross said I could come. Nothing he did. The man on the middle cross said you can come. My heart today is that you don't go your whole life thinking you're petting Sadie and you're petting a possum. Are you with me? Paul said, don't miss the proof. This is real. You got, you got to do something with it. Don't miss the purpose. You went to the cross for you. Don't miss the power in it. I believe he can bring you back to life. I believe he can bring your marriage back to life. I mean, a marriage that's dead and almost over, he can bring it back to life if you choose to let him guide you and do what is right every step of the way. I believe he can bring neighborhoods and communities and towns from death to life as we call, as the church, light into darkness. You don't change a town by all of us hoarding up in here and locking the doors. All right? That is not our heart. This is a launching point to reach the lost. We're going to take communion in just a moment. Would you just bow your heads as we pray? God, we thank you for the proof in your resurrection, the proof of your resurrection, that we have these words, these books that people wrote that shared eyewitness accounts that you were alive. Thank you for the purpose. Thank you that you didn't just come uh, haphazardly and this happened to you, that it was planned from the beginning of time. Before the foundation of the world, you chose me even. You loved me. God, I'm so thankful that there's power to take someone like me who doubted you for so many years, who gave up on you, who was frustrated with you, who is actually maybe your enemy at times and still you loved me and you left the 99 and came to find me. God, I'm thankful that there's one here today, there's many here today, online, in person. God, that you're revealing your truth to them. My heart today is that none of them miss it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.